everyone. Thanks for checking out this podcast. I hope today's conversation inspires you and builds your faith for the moment you are in right now. Know that God's love for you truly changes everything. Enjoy the message. Well, bonjour tout le monde. Uh, we are so glad that you are with us here today. And we are excited to start this brand new series. And I want to start today with an assumption. I want to assume that if you are here with us today, it's probably because you want to learn something about uh, what this book says about God and life and all of that stuff. And I think this series is going to be hugely important, so, so valuable for so many people. Like, I wish that, that, that every Christian and, and even people who have not yet made a decision for Christ could, could get into what we're going to learn in this series because what we find is when people get into the New Testament and they begin reading the teachings of Jesus and the early church in the New Testament, pretty soon they find this tension that exists with a word that many people don't know much about if they've never studied the Bible. And what you find is this tension in the New Testament between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace. Now, now, when we talk about the law, what that's referring to are the Old Testament rules and regulations. You know, there were all kinds of things that even had to do like with, with food regulations and cleanliness rituals. And, and many of these things in the Old Testament that Christians today do not follow. But I want you to listen to what Jesus actually said about these Old Testament laws. In Matthew 5, 17 to 18, Jesus said, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, all the Old Testament stuff. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away or disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so that seems pretty clear. Jesus said that he did, he did not come to abolish the law so Maybe we should live by all that stuff in the Old Testament. But, but then look at Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under what? Under grace. And so you see the tension here, right? Like, like which is it? Do, did Jesus come to, if he didn't come to abolish the law, then, then we should probably live by all that Old Testament stuff. But, but then it says throughout the rest of the New Testament that you are not under the law, but under grace. And so this becomes a confusing mess that, that, that Christians start to have to try to untangle. What does this mean? And what you'll find is that there are even Christians who think that this means that they should live under the Old Testament Jewish laws from thousands of years ago, and, and, and they look at Christians like us who do not practice all of those old laws, but, but live under grace and accuse us 
of not obeying Jesus. So which is it? Well, I'm glad you're with us for this series because over the next four weeks, we're going to untangle this, and I promise it's going to be a challenge, but I believe that when we get a hold of this, God is going to use this truth to bring healing and wholeness into our lives, especially because the key is, the key is we need to understand what Jesus says when he says he has not come to abolish the law, but what? But to fulfill them. How does Jesus fulfill the law for us? That's the question we're going to work on. And, and to figure this out, we're going to have to wade through some deep stuff and some concepts that, that, that will kind of get us thinking. But hang on with me. I promise we're going to go to a good place today. Today, we're going to start in Romans chapter 6 and 7. And even if you just follow along on the screen today with the scripture verses, I really want to encourage you, whether you want to get your phone right now or your Bible and look up Romans 6 and 7, or whether you want to do it later after this teaching to really start to unpack this for yourself. Listen, we don't want to just spoon feed you the Bible. We want you to teach you how to read it and feed on it in your own life on a daily basis. So in Romans chapter six and seven, we're going to see something that to understand the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace, that first we need to understand something about marriage. Now anybody who has gotten married or stayed married or didn't stay married, listen, you know that it takes a lot of grace to be married. And so what's really surprising, though, I'm going to say something that, that's going to sound kind of weird at first, but, but hear me out today. That when you come to Jesus, the Bible says that you are becoming married to Jesus. Now, I know that's a weird, weird concept. And, and the Bible is filled with these kind of word pictures and metaphors and that's why people who struggle with nuance, people who struggle with word pictures and, and metaphors sometimes have a hard time understanding the Bible. But here's what we're going to see today. In Romans 6 and 7, it says that apart from Christ, you used to be married to the law, but in Christ, when you become part of the church, you are married to Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's see what that means. Let's get started in Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So we already read that, and again, what is the law? The law are those extensive lists of rules and regulations that you find in the Old Testament. And the law is not bad. The law actually serves a good purpose kind of like rules for driving on the road. Like it's good to have boundaries, right? It's good to have lines on the road to show you where to go. Well, well, we need to have lines. We need to have boundaries in our lives. And the law is there to show us the idea of those boundaries. But here was the problem. The Pharisees and the religious elite would take things, laws in the Old Testament, like the Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments, like do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. 
And they would take things like that, 10 laws, and turn them into 613 rules. And so God said the law was about this much, and they made it about this much, right? And, and, and there are still Christians who do that today, trying to make it all about rules and regulations. And, and listen, here's, here's the key, though. The fact is that God has never, God's law has never been just about the rules. It's always been about relationship. And all the directions that he, that he gives us are about wanting to seek health, what's best for our lives in order to maintain that clear, peaceful relationship with him. And so that's what we're going to see today in Romans chapter 6 and 7. So let's move to chapter 7 now and look at verse 1, where Paul shows us how this relationship with God works, how grace works works. Look at Romans 7, beginning in verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, like the people he wrote this to, they understood all that, that law stuff that we talked about. He says, do you not know that the law has authority over someone as long as that person, what? As long as that person lives. The law has authority to someone as long as they what? Live. Remember that. Now let's continue into verse two. For example, by law, a, a woman is bound to, or a, a married woman rather, I'm sorry, I missed that. That's important. By law, a married woman. We're going to start to get into this marriage metaphor now. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released. She is what? Upon death, she is what? She is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. Now, now Paul is talking about, uh, about adultery here. He's not talking about divorce. He's talking about having an affair. And he is using the example of our relationship with the law. He's using this as an example. He says, you used to be married to the law, but look at what happens with Jesus. Verse four from the King James. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. That he, he says you used to be married to. That you should be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. That we should be married to another who was raised from the dead. Who is the one who was raised from the dead? Jesus. Married to Jesus. Okay, now. This is kind of clunky wording, translating it from the Greek into the English. So let me kind of summarize what Paul has said here so far in chapter 7. He says, when you were born into this world, you were born 
not perfect. Yes, you are created in the image of God, but that image of God has been twisted and distorted because of sin. We are born as children of Adam and Eve. Sin was, was brought into the world. So our natural desires as humans are sinful. Our natural desires are things that lead us away from God rather than to God. So God gives us the law in order to help us see those boundaries in the Old Testament in order to draw us back to God. And we're going to see more of that in the rest of this series. And it says that we are married to the law, okay, that, that we're bound to it in a covenant relationship, and so, what would it be like, let me ask you, just think about this, what would it be like to be married to the law? What is it like for all of us when the law is our husband? The law has only one power. The law can only show you what is right and wrong. The law doesn't love you. The law doesn't care about you. The law doesn't help you to do right. The law doesn't bless you and encourage you, which is what we want in a marriage, right? You want someone who will bless and encourage you, but the law cannot do that because the law has only one power. What is the power of the law? To show you the boundaries. What is right and wrong? So get this. The law can't bless you. It can only blame you. That's all it can do. And some women know what it's like to be married to a husband like that. Some husbands know what it's like to have a wife who never blesses you, but only blames you. That is not a happy marriage. And, and, and now don't get me wrong. The law is not bad. It is just doing what it was designed to do. It was designed to show you the perfect standard of righteousness and holiness of God that you can never fully live, look up to, or live up to, that you are constantly falling short of. And isn't that a miserable way to live, to be bound to something that all it can do is show you all the ways that you fall short every day? That's a miserable marriage. And then here's the problem even more so. Look at chapter 7, verse 1 again. You were married to the law as long as you what? As long as you live. Till death do you part. Paul says there is only one way out. Death. Now guess, guess what? The law is not going to die. It is God's eternal standard of perfection. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the law and the word will last forever. There is only one solution. There is only one way out. The law will not die, but you can. Now, now we're not talking about physical death. We're not talking about some kind of suicide. We're talking about spiritual things that, that you have to 
Die to yourself. The Bible says that is the only way to accept Jesus. You have to die to the law. How do we get there? Look back at chapter 6 again. Look at the middle of verse 13. Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Paul says that is the only way out to get out from under the law. This is all throughout the New Testament. Galatians 2, verse 19 and 20. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's not my life anymore, but Christ lives in me. Jesus said in Mark 8, 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. You see, what we're seeing here in these verses is a fundamental issue that I think might reveal the problem in some of our lives today. That for many people who are trying to follow Christ but are constantly wrestling and struggling with our sin nature and and with our temptations and and struggling with with bad attitudes and struggling with, with all of these issues that we thought Jesus was going to take care of in our lives. But the problem that Scripture reveals is that the reason for those struggles many times is because we have not yet died to self. We're still living for ourselves under the law. Now, get this. There is only one way out of the oppressive, impossible standard of the law. The only way out is that you have to die to yourself with Christ on the cross who took the punishment, the consequences that we deserve because of our failures in keeping the law. And when we come to Christ, we become part of his church, which the scriptures call his bride, his people. And Jesus is the husband of the church. So let me, let, let me ask you a question. Which would you rather be married to? Would you rather be married to the law that blames you or Jesus who blesses you? Would you rather be married to a list that condemns you or a person who loves you? Come on now. Love wins over a list any day. Amen? Now, there was a a pastor who was preparing a message on grace to get ready to speak that weekend. And he's sitting in his home office working on this this teaching on grace. And he begins to think of his wife. His wife grew up in in a difficult family. And because of the way that she was raised, she really struggled with this concept of of grace. 
How could God truly love her like that and set her free? And so he's thinking, well, maybe, God, maybe if you'll just give me some concept that I can teach the people about grace, maybe it will also help my wife in this. And so at that time, he heard the garage door open. His wife was home, and so he went out to the kitchen to meet her. And, and as she comes in the door, she says, oh, by the way, honey, I stopped and, and got the car washed. And he said, oh, really? Which car wash did you go to? And she said, well, you know, the one right here by the house. And he said, oh, no, not that one. That's the wrong car wash. I always go to the one on the other side of town. That's the right one. Please don't do that again. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Next time I'll know better. And he turns around and he goes back into the office to begin to prepare his teaching on grace. <laughs> and in that moment, God spoke to him and said, you know why she has trouble understanding grace? Because she's married to you. And listen, listen. The way that we as Christians treat others is a reflection of our understanding of God's grace. When you see a Christian who is always pointing their finger at other people, always casting blame, you, you, can, you can picture, you know what I'm talking about, those people who are following Jesus, but man, they're, they're always getting after people, always pointing out everybody else's problems. That is a person who has not yet understood how God's grace works in our lives. And so we're gonna talk about that today. First of all, Two things the law can't do, and then what grace and love can do. First of all, the law can't forgive. Or another word in the Bible is justification. The law cannot justify you. Romans 3, 20 and 28 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Verse 28, Paul who, who wrote this, he says, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And so Paul, who wrote this, wrote like, like a, th a third of the New Testament. And about half of his writing is him trying to get people to understand grace. Over and over again, Paul is saying in the New Testament, he's saying, stop running back to the law. For example, in the Old Testament, God made a sign of his covenant with Abraham called circumcision. That was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. Now, now what, is, uh, what is circumcision? A lot of times when I describe these biblical concepts, I'll put pictures on the screen to show you what I mean. I'm not going to put a picture of circumcision, don't worry. But, but here's what I want to do. It, I, I'm not even going to encourage you to look it up. Maybe just ask somebody you love, who you trust. Uh, it, but, but it basically has to do with the trimming of a part of a male's anatomy, okay? And so this was God's gift is a sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And it was, it was a requirement of the old Jewish law. So then in the New Testament, 
People start coming to Jesus and all the first Christians are Jewish. And so they are saying to these new Christians as they come into the church who are Gentiles, well, if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be part of this church, you have to get circumcised. And these 30-year-old guys are going, what? And, and, and can you imagine putting that on your church brochure? You know, come to Jesus, come right down front. We have an, an altar with a knife, snip, snip. Like, but, but okay, I'm gonna move on now. Okay, maybe just one more thought on this. Can you imagine when God gave this sign to Abraham and, 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 the, and the sign of the covenant that seals the law is circumcision, and, and, and Abraham's like, you want me to do what, God? <laughs> to my what? And, 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 and he says, God, it's not fair. Noah's sign was a rainbow, and look what you asked me to do. I think we'd all rather have a rainbow. So, so Paul is, ta- okay, I'm moving on. So Paul is talking about this in Galatians 3, and the Galatian church was trying to force new Christians to get circumcised. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to go back and attain your goal by human effort? And remember, the Bible compares this with marriage. Uh, You were married to the law and then now married to Christ. And so here's what Robert Morris, who inspired much of this series, says. This is so good. He says, many Christians are trying to impress their new husband, Jesus by keeping a good relationship with their former husband, the law. Now, any of you who are in a second marriage, you, you can testify to the fact that this is not a very good idea. Let, let me just play this out for you. Let's imagine a wife who has been married before goes to her new husband and says, honey, I wanna tell you what I've been doing and, and I think you're just gonna be so proud of me. This is such a good idea. What I've been doing, husband, is I have been going to the house of my ex-husband on a regular basis, and, I, and I've been cooking for him, and, and, and we've been flirting around again, and you know, kind of rekindling that relationship. We've been going back to dinner together. Aren't you just so proud of me? I, I just think that dating my ex-husband is going to make our marriage so much better. And Paul says, you foolish Galatians, that's what you're doing. You're trying to go back to the rules of the law rather than trusting in the grace of Jesus. It's like cheating on Jesus. Number two, the law can't empower you. We need the power of God in our lives. But listen to Romans 7 verse 4 again, the difference between Jesus and the law. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that, why? In order that we might bear fruit to God. 
the only thing that can empower us to bear the kind of fruit that God wants to see come out of our lives is a covenant relationship with Jesus. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Galatians 2, verse 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Listen, now it's the power of Christ that lives in me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. See, rules and regulations do not have the power to make you good. Only Jesus can. But here's, here's, here's what we so often do as Christians. Oh, this is such a temptation. It's exactly what the New Testament is speaking to with the Galatian church. That what we so often think the answer is, is if we can just go out to the world and preach law, then people will want to come to Jesus. And so, so often Christians, you know, we'll go out there and we'll condemn all the things going on in the world, which, which are wrong and all, you know, we'll condemn gay marriage and adultery and idolatry and don't lie and don't steal and don't cheat. And so Christians will go out to the world preaching the law who, to people who are not yet Christians about all the things they're doing wrong. And then we'll get back in our churches and we'll say, well, people today, they just don't want Jesus. Nobody wants the gospel anymore. How would we know? Because if all we're preaching is the law, then we've never actually even gotten yet to the gospel, which is forgiveness and restoration and wholeness that comes through a relationship in Jesus Christ. And so the law cannot justify you. Let's look at this. The law cannot forgive you for your wrongs. The law cannot empower you to do the right. But get this, love, love can do what law cannot. Now, this is the point where, where maybe some people say, you know, when it comes to living a holy life, which God has called us to live a holy life, and some people will say, well, that's the problem. With a church like yours, you know, you're always talking about love all the time. One of you ushy-gushy, mamby-pamby uh, churches always talking about love all the time. If all you do is talk about love, then people will never know the rules and what it takes to be a good Christian. And I understand that criticism. We do need to teach what the Bible says about how to live a holy life. But here's where I think the fundamental misunderstanding comes down to. That so many times Christians fail to recognize that love is more powerful than law. Love is the strongest, most powerful, motivating force for change in our lives. Around here, that's why we say it's because God's love changes everything in our lives. I love this quote from Robert Morris again. He talks about how people accuse him of teaching too much on grace. And here's his response. He says, look, I'm a pastor. 
I know what I'm doing. He says, if you're a firefighter, you know how to fight fires. Why would I tell you how to fight fires? I don't know how to fight fires. He says, if you're an eighth grade school teacher, I don't know how to teach eighth graders. If you're a nurse, if you work in construction or you work with computers, listen, I don't tell you how to do your job, but I'm a pastor and I know what I'm doing. He says, here's how it works. Our natural mind says, if you want people to live holy, preach law. But churches that preach law, people do not live holy because do you know what gives sin strength? First Corinthians 15, 56 says the power of sin is the law. So the more pastors get up and say, don't, 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 the more the people do, 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 because it's all opposite with God. See, in God's kingdom, God says, if you want to receive, give. If you want to have authority, be under authority. If you want to live, die. And if you want people to live holy, preach grace. Because the law cannot empower people to live holy, but grace can. And I think that's why we have this metaphor of marriage in scripture. You know, I've been married to Tracy, my wife, for 26 years, which is hard to believe because I'm only 31 years old. I don't understand how that, how that works. But uh, I've been married to Tracy for 26 years. And let me tell you, I know what grace looks like because I've lived with it for 26 years. And I want you to imagine how it would go if, if I went to Tracy one day and I said, Tracy, I, I want to tell you something. I've been thinking. And she says, okay, Joel, what, what have you been thinking about? I, I've been thinking, Tracy, and I've made a decision. I've decided that I'm not going to commit adultery. And she's like, oh, wow. Well, okay, well, that's, that's good news. You're not going to commit adultery. And I said, no, because here's the reason. Because the law says not to. Now, I want to real bad, and I think about it all the time. Please don't copy that and put it out on the internet everywhere. This is an illustration, you understand, right? We're, we're, this is a metaphor. But if I said to her, I'm not going to commit adultery just because the law says not to, how does that make her feel? But listen, what if, what if on the other hand, I were to go to her and say, Tracy, listen, you are the most amazing woman I have ever met. There is no one like you who walks the face of this planet. Every moment of every day, I am so incredibly grateful that you have chosen to spend your life with me. I would do anything for you and you never, ever, ever have to worry about me being unfaithful to you because I am madly and passionately in love with you. Come on, which husband would you rather have, the law or love? And that is God's relationship with us. Listen, God says, I have loved you since the foundations of this world. And as I knit you together in your mother's womb, God says, I was dreaming of your potential. 
And even, even when you turned your back on me, God says, even when you rejected me, I was pursuing you because of how much I loved you. I've always believed in you. And God says, listen, that's why I have made a way for you to be freed from the law. I have made a way from you to be forgiven for all of the ways that you fall short, all of the consequences of your shortcomings. And I want you to live a holy life. God says, I want you to live like Jesus. God says, I want for you to, to know that, that you should not indulge in the flesh anymore and all the desires of sin that lead you away from me. I want you to live like Jesus to live holy. But here's why. Not just because of law, because you love me. Well, come on now. Listen. Grace, that's how grace works. Grace works because God is love and love is more powerful than law. Love is the most powerful, motivating, transformational force on the face of this earth, God's love for us. And so wherever you are right now, I just wanna ask, would you, would you just close your eyes? Maybe you're sitting in a living room right now with family all around and you're like, well, this is a little awkward. But listen, you need to take just a minute and, and shut down the distractions around you to listen to what God might want to be saying to you today. And here it is, listen, listen. Some of you struggle with receiving God's grace because Maybe because of the way that you were raised. Maybe your parents were, were more about rules than relationship. And the harshness of the way that you were raised has, 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 has so distorted your view of God's love. Maybe it's because of a, a past relationship. Maybe it's even because of your a current relationship. Maybe you're with somebody who, who doesn't treat you well. And in their harshness, in their, in their abuse, and their, their taking you for granted, it's distorted the way that you view God. And maybe because of the way that this world has beaten you up, you, you just cannot wrap your mind around the gentleness of, of grace, this God who loves you. And so we're gonna come back together in just a minute and, and pray together. And I believe that God wants to minister to your heart and do something beautiful in your life today. But first, can, can we sing this together? Just let the words of this song minister to your heart. And then we're going to pray together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Moncton Wesleyan, we invite you to visit our website at mw.church. We are here to help you with any questions you might have. See you next time.